Hello there. Uh, how are we doing? My name is uh, Dom. If I haven't met you, I'm one of the pastors of uh, our church. Um, and a warm welcome to you if you're new. Uh, it's so good to have you. I said warm again, but I know it's not. But glad that you're here, and hopefully the heaters are starting to take their effect. It really wasn't us. I was sitting down there. But I just wanted to say hi and a warm welcome to you. Now, every day, we're faced with making choices, aren't we? We're faced with making choices. After this service, for example, you will be faced with the choice of who you will speak to. You'll be faced with the choice of where you will eat, what you will drink, maybe how you spend the rest of your day or who you'll spend the rest of your day with. Living in Sydney, we are faced with a whole number of different choices each day, aren't we? Uh, should I take public transport today? Should I drive? Uh, if I drive, which route should I take? Which app should I use? Should I use Google Maps, Waze, or Apple Maps? Right? We're inundated with choices every single day. Now, I don't know if this is actually true, but apparently we make uh, 35,000 decisions each day. Apparently, 35,000 decisions each day, whether we're conscious or whether we're subconscious. Now, that's a huge amount, right? If you divide that down, that means that we're making about 24 decisions a minute. Right now, you're probably deciding whether or not you should listen to me, right? But you're making choices all the time. Just take buying cereal, for example. Where should we buy our cereal is the decision we're going to make. Should we go to the major supermarket chains, Woolies, Coles? Should we go independent? Should we go to the warehouse type like Costco? Should we buy in bulk? Should we buy it when it's 50% off? Should we buy branded? Should we buy unbranded? Should we buy healthy or should we buy unhealthy? Do we physically go to a store? Do we get it delivered online? Do we get a small, medium or large box of cereal? All this just about cereal. We are choiced out. I am tired just about talking about cereal. Right? Friends, we are faced with so many choices. But as we look at the book of Proverbs... Uh, the writer of Proverbs ultimately tells his readers, tells us that we are confronted with two fundamental choices. Two fundamental choices, the right choice or the wrong choice. God's choice or not God's choice. Wisdom or folly. Right? That's essentially the message of the, the, the introduction to Proverbs, the first nine chapters. Right? The father puts a choice before the son. And he tells him whether you are going to choose to live wisely or to live foolishly. That's been the ongoing theme. And so as we reach the last two chapters of the introduction, chapters 8 to 9, with a particular focus on chapter 9, the choice is put in front of us as well. Will we choose wisdom or will we choose folly? Now this is going to be super important because the thinking behind the decision and the decision itself is going to impact how we look at the rest of the book. So it's going to be really important. And, and so what I'm going to do, I'm going to pray, I'm going to commit our time before God as we get into His Word, and uh, uh, look forward to hearing Him speak to us. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for uh, this book of wisdom. Uh, Father, that um, although it might be a bit of an unfamiliar genre to us, although the message of it uh, can seem a little bit foreign as well, we thank you that it is a part of your word and therefore it is for us and for our instruction and for uh, the way that we live. And so, Father, I pray today that you might be speaking to us. Father, that we would be uh, hearers of your word, we would also, more importantly, be doers of your word. Help us to think wisely and do wisely. And we commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So we're going to begin with our first point today. Our first point today is you are invited to choose. You are invited to choose. Now, in chapter 9, we meet two characters. We meet Lady Wisdom in verses 1 to 6, who we've already learned a lot about if you've read through the first nine chapters. Uh, And we also meet Woman Folly in verses 13 to 18. Lady Wisdom, 1 to 6, Woman Folly, 13 to 18. Now, this isn't the first time, as I said, that we've met Lady Wisdom. Back in chapter 1, Lady Wisdom, she cries out and raises her voice in the public square. The son is told in chapter 4 to cherish Lady Wisdom, to embrace her. In chapter 7, the son is instructed to say to Lady Wisdom, you're you're like my sister. If you read through chapter 1 to 9, you'll see her pop up time and time again. But as we reach chapter 9, we're introduced to another woman, woman Folly. And as readers, we're invited to choose to either dine with either woman, woman wisdom or woman folly. Now, this isn't just any ordinary meal though, right? There's something deeper going on with this meal. See, the first chapter of Proverbs told us that whether we're young, whether we're old, whether we're male or whether we're female, that all of us are invited to hear the wisdom of the book from the perspective of a son, hearing the wisdom from his father. See, as if the father is saying now, as we reach the end of this introduction, these first nine chapters, the, son is, the father is saying to the son and to us, therefore, who will you make the most important person in your life? Who will be integrated with you in the deepest of ways? Who will you carry and walk beside you all the days of your life? It's almost not a stretch to see the father saying to the son, son, Which of the two will you marry? See, the choice between lady and wisdom, lady wisdom and woman folly, uh, is is there. It's there for us to choose. And much like a marriage in many ways, it can both be difficult to kind of decide, but it can also be very clear. This decision can be very difficult, but it can also be very clear. Let me first explain by what I mean by this choice might be, might be a little bit difficult. See, it's difficult because uh, both Lady Wisdom and Lady Folly, they're described as doing really similar things. Right? They're, they're similar in more ways than one. Right? There are at least three ways that they're similar. They're similar, firstly, because Lady Wisdom and Woman Folly, they're speaking to the same group of people. See, who's Lady Wisdom speaking to? Have a look at verses 4, at the second half. She's speaking to those who have no sense. Who's Woman Folly speaking to? In verse 16, the second half. She's also speaking to those who have no sense. See, in other words, Lady Wisdom and Woman Folly, they're, they're competing with each other. They're competing with each other to get the attention of the same group of people, those who have no sense. Or, in the language of the, of, of the book of Proverbs elsewhere, those who are simple. Right, if you remember back to last week, if you were here, the simple, the simple aren't just those who are, in, aren't, aren't those who are intellectually challenged. The, the, the simple are those who are naive. The simple are those who are inexperienced. Perhaps those who are really open to being influenced or swayed. They don't have the experience to decide things well. See, Proverbs 1 tells us that this book, this collection isn't just an invitation to the inexperienced or the naive, 
This book is for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young, but it is also for the wise to listen and to add to their learning and to let those who are discerning get further guidance. This book is for everybody. And so while last week Pastor Pete really said that this, the description of the simple really suits those that are under 40 years of age, uh, even the older would be wise to heed the advice of the book of Proverbs. All of us benefit from the wisdom of the book, but we need to see ourselves, all of us, under the umbrella of the simple person. And so all of us here, according to the writer, falls under the category of the simple, one way or another. But here's the thing, both lady wisdom and woman folly, they're competing for our attention. And we need to make a decision with whom we're going to eat with. So they're similar in who they're targeting, who they're speaking to, but they're also similar in the type of message that they're saying as well. Right? They're not just speaking to the same group, they're issuing the same invitation. Um, when Jody and I were uh, engaged, shortly after we decided the date of the wedding day, we soon found out that we had two couples, mutual friends of mine, also decided to get married on the same day, which is always fun. And so because of this, um, you know, there were friends of ours, mutual friends of ours, caught in a bit of a pickle because they had received invitations to pretty much identical events, you know, a wedding, um, that they had to choose to go to. Um, really, we got to find out who our real friends are. Just kidding. Uh, but we really felt for them, right? Like, that's a tough choice to make. Identical invitations made by different people. They care for, they care for all of them. And so some tried to go to both. Uh, some went to a ceremony, just a ceremony, and then the reception for the other person. Others had to just accept one and decline the other. For those of you who were in that situation, there were some of you in this room. I'm terribly sorry about that. But here, we see lady wisdom and woman folly giving the exact same invitation to the simple in verses 4 and 16. See, both women say, let all who are simple come to my house. Right? See, both... Both women are speaking to the same people. Both women have the same message. And thirdly, and really quickly, we find out that both Lady Wisdom and Women Folly are sitting in very similar locations. Right? See, both of them, if you look at verses 3 and verses 14, if you compare the two, both of them are at the highest points of the city. Both call out from this particular point. Now, this is significant. We're going to come back to this later, so keep it at the back of your minds. But for the moment, notice... These two are meant to be compared. They're really, really similar. They're both speaking to the same group of people. They both have the same message. They're doing it from similar locations. See, friends, what does this show us? What does this teach us? Well, it says that we all need discernment, doesn't it? Right? At first glance, wisdom and folly can look really similar, if not nearly identical. See, folly can often appear like wisdom. And because it does, we need discernment. So, for example, a really popular saying, a soundbite today, is that we need to be true to ourselves. Right? We need to be true to ourselves. You've heard it, I'm sure. Right? At first glance, it all sounds very appealing, doesn't it? You know, being true, that sounds great. Being ourselves, that sounds great as well. So being true to ourselves must be very great, very wise, makes all the sense in the world. But it actually doesn't, does it? especially when we apply a little bit of discernment. See, what does it actually mean? What, what about being true to ourselves at the expense of being untrue to other people? That doesn't sound too great. 
What if, what if the other person being true to themselves is, you know, pretty narky, pretty rude? That's not too great either. What about that if the other person is a man who comes and robs you of your possessions and he's just saying, I'm being true to myself? Well, that's just being ridiculous now, isn't it? See, all of a sudden, the sound bite that's saying, isn't that great? It isn't so wise. It sounds very appealing initially. It appears like wisdom. But after some discernment, it's actually really foolish and even selfish in many ways. Friends, foolishness that we take seriously is rarely obviously foolish. Foolish that we take seriously is rarely obviously foolish. The foolishness that we have or will succumb to won't be saying to us, you know what, I'm really stupid, listen to me, so that I can destroy your life. It's not saying that to us, it's not saying that to you, it's not saying that to me. It will often look and it will often smell like wisdom. And so Proverbs 9 is showing us just why we need discernment, why we need to be wise. And so that's why the choice with Lady Wisdom and Lady Folly can be difficult. But let's move on to why can it be clear as well, right? So it's both difficult and clear. Why can it be clear? Um, Now, it's clear because while at first glance there are a lot of similarities and we just looked at those similarities, when we look a little bit more closely, there are some quite big differences, right? There are at least two really big differences. Uh, There's a big difference in how they prepare and there's a big difference in what they require, right? Big difference in how they prepare and a big difference in what they require. Let's look at the differences in their preparation. See, how does Lady Wisdom um, invite the simple? What does she do to invite the simple? Well, have a look at verse 1. What does she do? Lady Wisdom builds a house, and it's not just any house. It's a glorious house. It has seven pillars. It is perfectly and solidly built. This is like a massive mansion of a house. She's done that. She's built it. In verse 2, we also find out that she's prepared her meat. In the ancient Near East, having meat at a meal was a luxurious meal. This meal is no small afternoon tea. This is going to be extravagant. She's even mixed her wine, we find out. She's labored hard. This is one of those types of wine that blend different types into one unique blend. There's like the Shiraz and the Pinot Noir and the Merlot, all the spices and the sweetness perfectly mixed into one for you. She's worked hard. This is an extravagant feast for the purposes to celebrate. She's even the one who's prepared and arranged the table we find out for her guests in order to have this amazing meal. See, in verse 3, she's made sure that everybody has heard about this bill. Her maids are sent to tell people. Even she calls out as well. That's that's how Lady Wisdom prepares. How How does woman folly prepare? Well, we find out she doesn't do anything. Verse 14, rather than calling out, what's she doing? She's she's sitting on a seat at the door of her house. In verse 13, we find out she is simple, just like the people that she's trying to reach to. And so in her like-mindedness with everybody, or maybe her ignorance, she calls out to the simple, what food does she offer at this meal? There's no lavishness, there's no expensive meat, there's no mixed wine, it's just the pure basics. Water and some food. Worst of all, she hasn't even prepared it, she's nicked it, she's stolen this food to give to you. 
It's almost as if she's scoffing at how busy Lady Wisdom has made herself. It's like Woman Folly is saying, you know what, I'm just going to steal some stuff. And let's just have a great time with that. It's more fun to eat food that's stolen. It's more exciting not to do any work. It's more thrilling to not prepare anything. And that's her invitation to the simple. It's almost like a, 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 a terrible My Kitchen Rules episode back to back. Right? Imagine one night the host of the instant restaurant prepares a stellar three-course meal where each hits the mark. The instant restaurant is decorated perfectly. The ambience is considered. All the food gets a 10 out of 10 from the judges. And then the very next night at another instant restaurant, no effort's put in. No decorations are done. It's literally an old garage that hasn't been dusted, whose shelves are falling apart around them. And the food has just been stolen water from a vending machine and bread from the leftovers of Baker's Delight. That's the picture of Lady Wisdom and Woman Folly. Their preparation could not be any different. But they're also not just different in their preparation. As I said, they're also different in what they require. Right? Very quickly, what are the differences in what they require? Um, see, Lady Wisdom wants us to join her in all her preparation, but she has an ask. She asks us something in verse 6. She asks us to leave our simple ways behind. Other translations read that Lady Wisdom asks us to abandon our simple ways. In other words, she's asking us to change. It's almost like repentance in a way. She's asking us to change. It's hard work. It's difficult. It's going to require effort. But Lady Wisdom is saying, look at the feast I've prepared for you. Come and accept my invitation." See, friends, while it's clear and obvious what our choice should be, right? Here's Lady Wisdom. Here's Woman Folly. Even, even how obvious that decision is meant to be, there is a bit of a shallow appeal to what Woman Folly is offering, isn't there? If we're honest to ourselves. I mean, Woman Folly says, you know, stay simple because I'm simple as well. Don't change. Live off others. Be a little naughty, live on the edge a little, have a little fun, don't pay for stuff. Or as Lady Wisdom values and requires change, laboring and abandoning simple ways. See, Southwest, you're invited to choose. The invitation is for you. Who will you choose? It's a decision that will both be difficult, but also a little bit clear. So who will you choose? Now, before you make a decision, though, um, there's another factor you need to consider, uh, and that is, who do, the wi- who do the women represent? What's under the surface? What's behind the choice? Um, uh, last year, uh, uh, I was, you know, walking through um, uh, DFO, and there was a stall there where a lady was saying, uh, if you sign up, we can give you free a free... Oh, what was it? Free double pass to Taronga Zoo. I'm like, oh, that sounds exciting. Free double pass to Taronga Zoo. And I asked him, like, what, 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 what do you need me to do to get this? You know, nothing's free. He said, oh, you know what? You just come to the city. Um, you see a, a showroom of ours and um, of, of one of our hotels that we've recently built. Um, and then we just have a conversation with you. And after that, we'll give you the free double pass to the zoo. I was like, oh, that sounds fantastic. You know, Azali was even younger back then. And um, uh, at that stage, uh, Heidi, Carey, and Azali were about to go overseas. 
And I thought, oh, it'd be good if she could go to the zoo and, you know, I'm really cheap and I can't pay for stuff. So, you know, this could be a great way to get, to get them to see the zoo. Um, turns out, about four hours later, uh, I was literally grilled by a salesperson in front of me trying to sell me a hotel membership package that will last for all of my life. Um, <laughs> to which I kept saying no and no and no. And eventually, the, the salesperson swore at me, chucked the double passes to the zoo in front of me and said, take it and go. And I said, okay, see you later. <laughs> but I didn't know what I was getting into. Right? What's behind the choice? What's the reality there? See, friends, we're looking now, when we're to point to the reality behind the choice, who do these women represent? What's actually going on behind the scenes? The key to finding out who these women represent is to look at the location of their houses. Right? The location of their houses, as I mentioned earlier. See, where, where do lady wisdom and woman folly, where do they live? Where do they dwell? If you remember, they are at the highest points of the city. Now, why is that significant? This isn't poetic artistry, right? This is significant because in the world of the original text, a building on the highest point of the city in just about every culture was the temple. It was the temple. It's not just true for Israel. It's true for almost every culture in the ancient Near East. Their temples would sit on mountains that would overlook the cities which their gods were meant to look over. This is no accident. But Lady Wisdom, in other words, she represents God. Lady Wisdom is a poetic, uh, this is a bit of an English nerdy, personification of God's wisdom. And she represents Him. Wisdom and God are very deeply connected in the book of Proverbs. Right, even in the second half of chapter 8, maybe you read it in your community groups this last week, we saw Lady Wisdom intricately involved with God in the creation of the world. Right? From Verse 23, if you look back with me, she was formed long ago, at the very beginning. Verse 27, wisdom was there when he set the heavens in place. Verse 30, she was constantly at his side, rejoicing always in his presence, rejoicing in, the whole, in his whole world. See, friends, the point is, before creation even came into being, wisdom was there with God delighting in the beauty and the wise design of creation. Now, just quickly, this is a bit of an aside, we need to be careful uh, when we're reading passages like the second half of um, Proverbs chapter 8 to not overread, right? Uh, this is poetry. We don't want to press into poetry literal descriptions about God and about wisdom. Maybe questions came up in your CGs this week, this week about it, right? But Proverbs 8, 22 to 31 is really echoing what Proverbs chapter 3 has already said about Lady Wisdom. Don't, don't worry about turning that. I'll just read it out to you. In Proverbs chapter 3, from verse 19 to 20, we find out that it is by wisdom that Lord, the Lord laid the earth's foundation. It's by understanding that He set the heavens in place. By His knowledge, the watery depths were divided and the clouds let drop their dew. See, we must remember that the text is poetry. And it's using poetic techniques to make important points about the nature of God's wisdom. See, people in history, they've made the mistake of being overly literal. And they've made errors and come to conclusions that are really crazy, really wrong. 
Right? There are conclusions like um, that people have come to that God, you know, before He created the world, He therefore wasn't wise, so He had to create wisdom in order to, be, to become wise, in order to make creation. That's crazy. Right? Because it says in Proverbs chapter 8 that wisdom was made, people then go to the New Testament and look at Jesus, who's the true wisdom, and assume that He must have been made as well. That's crazy. That's all wrong. That's all heretical stuff. So let's not be overly literal here in our interpretation of poetry. But coming back to um, Proverbs, the, second, the point of the second half of Proverbs chapter 8 is that Lady Wisdom poetically personifies God's wisdom. And she represents God. See, if wisdom, if wisdom was intimately part of the creation of the world, if wisdom was a part of how the world came into being and was a part of how it all works together, then, you know, as we think about ourselves, as we think about wanting to know how the world works, how to navigate life in this world, doesn't it make sense to desire and get to know who Lady Wisdom is? Shouldn't we desire to know God Himself? Who would better know how to act in the world than through the One who brought it all to life? So if Lady Wisdom represents God, if she's God sitting on the high point of a mountain, who's woman folly? Because she sits on a high point too. Who's she? See, friends, she represents not the true God, but other gods. Other idols, false gods and goddesses that, tempts, that, that in history tempted God's people away from Him. See, for Israel, they were the gods of the other nations. And for us, these are the gods and idols, things that aren't God that we put in place of God in the world around us. See, friends, the outcomes of those who choose woman folly or lady wisdom in Proverbs chapter 9, the outcomes suddenly make sense in light of that. See, what happens to those who choose woman folly? What happens to them who choose woman folly? Well, in verse 18, what happens to them? The dead are there. Her guests are deep in the realm of the dead. Just as the Israelites who turned to the worship of the gods of the other nations died outside God's favor, so will those who worship idols and the gods of this world rather than God Himself. Which means the opposite is also true. Those who choose Lady Wisdom in verse 6 leave their sinful ways and, and live. They will have life. See, friends, the writer of the Proverbs says that if you dine with Lady Wisdom, with God, you're going to live. And you walk in the way of understanding. But if you dine with woman folly, with idols and false gods, you'll die. Her guests are in the depths of the grave. See, at the end of the nine-chapter introduction, right, chapters one to nine of Proverbs, before we get into all the different sayings that are going to take place from chapters 10 onwards, the writer of the Proverbs is saying to us, even if you were to embrace every single saying that's going to happen from chapter 10 onwards, but you reject God, you're still a fool. And so it's important to get that right first before we turn to chapter 10. The choice is there. Who will you choose now that we know who the, the choices represent? See, the book of Proverbs makes it a no-brainer, right? 
The book of Proverbs makes it a no-brainer, really, who we should choose between Lady Wisdom and Woman Folly. It's literally the choice between life and death. It's the choice between a real God and false gods. It's the choice between wisdom and foolishness. It, it paints a pretty black and white picture of what we should do. There is a right answer, we know it, and it's pretty simple to pick, and in theory it is. But the reality of our lives is that th that decision isn't always so black and white, is it? The reality of our lives, even when we follow Jesus, isn't one where we're always just in the one house of Lady Wisdom all the time. See, if we're honest with ourselves, we often run back and forth between houses. We dabble in folly. We dabble with idols. We place things that are probably not obviously sinful, but are probably good in themselves, and put them in the place of God. It might be desiring approval from someone or something other than God. It might be seeking affection from someone or something other than God. It might be seeking purpose from someone or something other than God. See, friends, what idols, what false gods and foolishness are we most susceptible to? Right, consider some of these examples. I just took them from a book um, that we used to read at church together. I'm just going to read them out to you. Just some examples of um, idols that we might be susceptible to. Right? A father wants his young child to honor and obey him so that when he grows up, he will not be hostile to those in authority. This is a good desire and something God commands. However, it leads the father to manipulate his son to get him to obey. The father gets very controlling, even exploding in anger when the child steps out of line. He may become depressed or discouraged at any failure in his son, or self-righteous and proud or condescending towards parents whose children are less obedient. Does that resonate with you? What about this one? A young man longs for the day when he will find a spouse and marry. He reasons that this is something God created and a good thing to desire, but he is given to extremes in his relationships with women. He becomes um, depressed and susceptible to sexual temptation when women ignore him. When he does attract a woman's interest, he destroys the relationship by smothering her with too much attention. Does that resonate with you? Last, a third one. A woman is gifted and is successful in her job. She recognizes work as a good thing that God has made. In time, however, this woman finds herself increasingly anxious about whether she is doing everything she needs to at work. She starts taking work home, assumes too many responsibilities, and soon has trouble sleeping. See, friends, in each of these scenarios, these people, hypothetical people, they've taken something good like, you know, obedient children, marriage, work, and they've built their lives around it. A false God has replaced a true God. Things that are good are put in the place of God. And we all, including your pastors and elders, do it. In some senses, that's the message of Proverbs 9 from our first point today, isn't it? It's that while the choice is obvious, while the choice is clear, it's still somehow in the reality really, really difficult. See, friends, women, woman folly and idolatry, it, it can just seem so appealing, can't it? I mean, it can just be easier to not deal with, for example. Maybe the rewards of foolish living maybe objectively, is, is even larger at times. 
Maybe the sacrifice that the idols require from us, they, are, they often involve less. Foolishness and idolatry, they, they satisfy initially as well. And, and when they're good things given by God that aren't obviously sinful, idols can be pretty easy to justify, even masked in godly language. Right? This, is, this is not an excuse for any of it, but just to highlight just how easily we can run back to the house of woman folly, even though we follow Jesus. So how do we deal with this, right? That's the problem. How do we deal with this? Where should we turn to? Well, I believe Proverbs 9 has an answer for us. And it's in the middle section from verses 7 to 12. And we're going to go to our third and our final point now. The choice lived out. The choice lived out. Um, So how do we deal with this problem of running back to idolatry? Where should we turn to for answers? Now, verses 7 to 12, I think, give two connected sources for answers. We turn to instruction and rebuke. And we turn to the Lord. We turn to instruction and rebuke, and we turn to the Lord. Now, let's look at instruction and rebuke. Um, As we struggle in the reality of dabbling from house to house in idolatry, verses 7 and 12 provide a great deal of comfort. Have a look at verses 8 to 9 with me. Verses 8 to 9. Do not rebuke mockers, or they will hate you. Rebuke the wise, and they will love you. Instruct the wise, and they will be wiser still. Teach the righteous, and they will add to their learning. See, these verses show us that we are not lost just by one meal with woman folly. But neither are we saved by just having one meal with Lady Wisdom. We can't ruin our lives just from one meal. But what these verses show us is that there is room towards moving to wisdom as well as moving towards folly. We can anticipate that it is possible to grow wiser just as it is possible to grow more foolish. In other words, wisdom and folly don't come from isolated decisions but from extended time on pathways that help us grow more wise or more foolish. These are pathways we're on in life. And so one of the ways we can become more wise is through instruction and rebuke. See, wise people, according to the writer of the Proverbs, they love to be rebuked. They desire to be instructed and taught to add to their wisdom and learning. Now, when it says the wise person loves to be rebuked, it's not like when you rebuke them, they'll say, I love you, and you know, give you a massive hug and say, you're the best person in the world. But I imagine the wise person does, you know, in desiring to be wise, go away, will reflect on it. And even if the critique comes from someone who isn't well-meaning or is just plain insulting, the wise person can learn to be appreciative that there might still be some truth to what's been said. See, the wise person grows to love having rebuke in their life because eventually it will help them become more wise. And the wiser one gets, in verse 12, that wisdom will begin to reward you. Right? And I take the reward to mean, you know, the more, the more wise you are, the more ex- instinctive it is to make wise decisions. The quicker you are at it the more second nature making wise decisions become to you. That's a reward in and of itself. Right? But contrast, what do the fools, where do they go in their, own, in their pathway? 
right? Because they do have a pathway, and it's a descending pathway for the fool. Right? They begin as those who are simple, foolish, in their na- 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 naivety, naivety. Then it regresses to the unthinking or the unlearning, those who speak and act without thinking. From there, it goes down one step further to the arrogant, those who are prideful, who won't take advice. And in the book of Proverbs, it goes one, fi- one more step, one final step, uh, to the mocker, those that are incapable of learning, who destroy relationships and break up brothers. They're the worst of fools. And so here in Proverbs chapter 9, we meet the mocker, the strongest and most derogatory word for the fool in the book of Proverbs. Those who are wise do not even bother speaking to the mocker because they retaliate each time. If they're corrected, insults fly. If they're rebuked, they hurl abuse back. They hate rebuke and they suffer in their mockery alone. See, friends, some diagnostic questions for you to determine whether you are open to instruction and rebuke and are on the trajectory to wisdom. Who corrects you? Who corrects you? Perhaps more importantly, who corrects you in things that matter to you? Because the rebukes that hurt most are always about things that matter most to you. The rebukes that hurt the most are usually about the idols that we dabble with in our lives. Do you have people like that in your life? Can you name them? Are you open to rebuke and instruction? And and just as importantly, when was the last time you actually changed as a result of being corrected or rebuked? Can you think of a time in the last year? And just a caution for those who can't think of a recent time, especially regarding the things that matter most to us, be careful that you're not a fool, according to the writer of the Proverbs. The wise one is both open to correction and knows they need it to continue to follow God. Now, that's the first source, instruction and rebuke. The, the other source, um, and this will be brief, is we turn to the Lord. We turn to the Lord. At the heart of this chapter in verse 10 is a theme tune, as we heard last week, of Proverbs being played again. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. See, how does the fear of the Lord help us as we try to detangle from the idols we put in place of God? Friends, to fear the Lord isn't to be scared of Him, but it's to be appropriately intimidated by His greatness and to be drawn to Him in wonder and in awe. It's a reverence to Him that He alone deserves. However, when we have idols, when we have idols that we dabble in and run to, what that really says is at least two things. It says that we're more intimidated and drawn to things in this world that don't actually compare to the glory and power of our Creator and Savior God. And that it also says that God isn't actually at, at all intimidating and all that enticing to us when we compare it to the idols in our lives. And friends, you know that's not true. You know that's not true. Don't mess with God. He deserves our reverence. His power and glory ordered our world into being. It orchestrated our salvation by sending His Son to the cross in our place. He is presently sustaining our very next breath we take He appropriately deserves to be feared. He deserves to be revered. Don't mess with Him. It's this God that we have relationship with. See, businessmen, 
they worry about the verdict of stockholders. Politicians worry about the verdict of voters. Jesus' followers worry about the verdict of God. It's a reverent fear from a reverent love and affection of being in relationship with Him. See, I, I, I once heard a testimony of a husband and a father who was in the army. And he was asked about um, how he managed purity to deal with matters of purity as he was away for long amounts of time. And so he was asked, what do, you, what do you do to keep godly? What do you do to keep pure? And he answered, you know, to help, I do a ridiculous amount of exercise to keep me distracted. But what helps most is I think mostly of my wife and my kids. And think of the disappointment they'd have with me if I did something I would regret. And I think of God and I think of His disappointment if He was there with me, which He is. I see more vividly the face of my family than God, but I don't want to let any of them down. See, I think that captures it pretty well. We don't want to disappoint a reverent God who loves and cares about how we live because He's been very generous to us. Right? The invitation in Proverbs 9, chapter, chapter 9, verse 5, by Lady Wisdom to eat her food and drink the wine really is a generous offer. It's a gospel offer. God says, come and enjoy without cost. Enjoy forgiveness with which you bring nothing but listen. Simple one, of course you need to change. Of course you'll need to repent and turn around. Do so and you'll live. God has been very kind in the banquet He's offered to us, so fear Him, love Him, and hold the two together in reverent love. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we know that uh, according, to, according to your word that there are really ultimately two fundamental, fundamental choices we have in life. Father, forgive us when we dabble um, and even bathe and enjoy uh, in the folly and the idolatry that maybe we're most acceptable to. Father, by your Spirit, would you help us both identify and, and give us the power to deal with those things. Help us to yearn to live wisely and to live rightly. And we pray that as we uh, move on uh, to the rest of the book of Proverbs, as we look at the wisdom that is there, help us not to forget that ultimately it comes back to fearing you and doing right for you. And so we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.